the sky is dark and the moon aglow and the morning star burning from afar enters into view all that I can say Hey everybody, welcome to the Not A Final Girl podcast. Why am I not a final girl? Because she always dies first. I'm so happy to have you all here. Like, I know I said I was going for Drop Dead Gorgeous next time, but that's now the next show because I was talking to my little sister and she was telling me about movies that she loves that she got for me and we started talking about The Devil's Carnival and I realized that it's such an amazing movie and I had to record it like now. It had to be now. So here we go. Today we're going to be talking about The Devil's Carnival. It was released in 2012 in the United States. It is not rated and it's only 56 minutes long. I believe it's not rated because it's an independent kind of film. Um, For what I can see, it had a budget of $500,000 but no box office. It doesn't look like it had a theatrical release. Instead, it looks like what they did was they did a roadshow version of it and then they ended up selling the DVD copies. It has a 6.0 IMDb rating, had a lot of 4 out of 5 critic reviews. The director is Darren Lynn Hausman, and the writer is Terrence Zunick, who also plays Lucifer and did the music with Sa'ar Hendelman. The rest of the cast is Sean Patrick Flannery as John, Brianna Evian as Marywood, Jessica Lowndes as Tamara, Dayton Callie as Keeper, Emily Autumn as the Painted Doll, Ivan L. Moody as Hobo Clown, Mark Center as Scorpion, and then we have the amazing Bill Mosley, who makes an appearance as the magician. Unfortunately, his ass gets rejected from hell again. (laughs) Also, speaking of awesome, Emily Autumn is an amazing, amazing musical artist. She is so good. I love her music. It's very gothic, and she plays the violin for her own tracks, so she is an amazing artist. Uh, Go listen to her. Cannot sing her praises enough. And speaking of it being a roadshow, I mean, I would honestly love to see this performed in a Broadway fashion. I mean, they turned to, like, Mean Girls and Beetlejuice into shows. I mean, this one would be really easy to adapt since it basically started as a roadshow anyway, so, I mean... Let's get it. Let's have a Devil's Carnival fucking Broadway musical. I would, I would, I would audition for that shit. Even though I wouldn't get it, <laughs> I would still have to show up and audition. Originally, they intended for this to be like a multiple part series. Um, so there is a sequel called Alleluia, The Devil's Carnival. I've never seen it. I do intend to. It has a lot of the original cast and then it has a couple of new people. It for some fucking reason has David Hasselhoff, which I don't know about you, but I have a very specific image of David Hasselhoff and him being in a musical about hell just doesn't sit right with me. So I'm going to be very interested to see his part in that. And I mean, literally the last movie I even saw him in was in the fucking Spongebob movie. When he just plays his, like himself. <laughs> and it's really hard to like conform those images together. So look out for the sequel because I'm definitely going to review that. The third part had already been written, but I don't have any evidence or see any evidence of the third part having been actually made. So maybe we'll get that in the future. Who knows? Either way, let's get into it. So we're going to go ahead and give some trigger warnings. Murder, suicide, 
the normal stuff. Uh, hell, obviously. If you have a weird thing about hell or like you're uber religious and don't really like to discuss it or talk about it, then definitely don't watch this movie or listen to this podcast. Also, I'm going to go ahead and give a trigger warning for clowns because I know, especially ever since the 2016 incident, that clowns can be really triggering for people. So big warning. It is a carnival. There's a lot of clowns. And then I also want to give an epilepsy warning. 99% of the movie is fine. There is, I'd say, a five-minute interval in the last third of the movie that has a lot of strobe light effects that you need to look out for. And I'm going to dive into that epilepsy warning again when I get to that part in my review. But I just want to warn people who haven't seen the movie yet There is an epilepsy warning. There is a lot of strobe lighting effect towards the end of the movie. Alrighty. So we begin with a introduction of this like 1920s music on a gramophone. And we see this guy who's painting dolls in a doll shop. And the song, I actually made the intro music a sample of that song. So if you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to the intro music because that's actually the song that's being played all through the first scene. There are dolls and mannequins hanging everywhere. Like, even the ceiling, there's a basket labeled broken and it's just filled with dolls. He's painting, like, the eyebrows on a baby and he gets (laughs) frustrated. I'm not really sure why. As far as I can tell, it's maybe because the baby's eye kept closing and it wasn't supposed to. But he, he gets mad and he chucks it into the bin. Okay. So we, <laughs> we don't know this yet, but this is supposed to be the portrayal of heaven. This is supposed to be God and heaven. And, um, no. <laughs> I would not want to spend the rest of my eternity in a fucking doll shop. Like, dolls creep me out. Like, I don't have a phobia of them, but dolls are creepy. And imagining that, like... <laughs> What is supposed to be my paradise is like painting dolls. It's not for me. So no thanks, fam. <laughs> so we fade to a shirtless man in the bathroom. He is called John by this woman who's like knocking off screen, trying to talk to him and get his attention. She seems a little worried, but at right now we don't really know what's going on. So we're just kind of like, okay. And then he, he gets a little odd. He looks in the mirror and he says... Where is your little son lost, John? What the fuck is that supposed to mean? <laughs> I'm sorry, but as an introduction to this movie, that's, you're just, uh, what? It, excuse me? What do you mean? Suddenly the woman is knocking even harder and asking him to unlock what is obviously a bathroom door. She, We zoom in on the door and this apartment is fucking nasty. There's dirt, like, smeared on the walls, The fucking doorknob is is rusting. It's a wood door. How is it rusting? It's so, it's so gross. I, I wouldn't want to live there. We see John then looking at this picture of a young boy that he kind of dropped, like fumbles into the sink. And we kind of have to assume that that's probably the little lost son he's talking about. But then we just jump cut away from him. So, (laughs) bye John, I guess. We jump cut to this woman who's like running from a guy and getting into this old car. And this guy is chasing her, screaming, Tamara. So 
we kind of assume, okay, this girl is Tamara. Also, remember that the whole time this is happening, that song from the beginning is playing. Like, that's a long song, and this is a weird introduction, and you're just like, boom, 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 just introduced to everything super quickly. The man's, like, banging on the car window, and he's saying, like, come on, Tamara, it'll never happen again. So I think to us, we're kind of saying, okay, this looks like a not good situation, maybe an abusive one, who knows. We do another quick cut to a woman who's in a very obvious blonde wig. <laughs> I don't know if it was supposed to be that obvious, but like you can tell that's not her hair, but okay. She's wearing a trench coat and sunglasses and she just dashes into this like mobile home. She dumps out a bunch of shit onto the table. We see that it seems like a bunch of finery you know, necklaces, bracelets, all of that stuff. She admires her pile of crap and then laughs like really psychotically. Her laugh is scary. She's just like, hey. <laughs> like, what is that, ma'am? Why are you laughing like that? That's not correct. That's scary. Go away. Then she checks her reflection in this hand mirror, whatever. We jump back to John and we trigger warning suicide. We see him grab a straight razor and presumably cut his wrist. We don't see the cutting, but it's pretty obvious that that's what's happening. And we hear some nasty, like, flesh mutilation sound effects. It's rough. We jump back to the woman in the trailer. She, like, rips off her wig. And then we all of a sudden start hearing police sirens. We can estimate at this point that she seems to be some kind of thief since her home is just filled with all of these random knickknacks and... She was wearing a disguise and then, you know, the police show up. So you put three and three together and like, there you go. She like grabs a pistol out of nowhere. I don't know where the hell she had this pistol, but she grabs one and ducks behind the wall. We jump back to Tamara, who is struggling to start this car. And like I said, seemingly is trying to escape this dude who looks kind of abusive. He's continuing to hit the window and the doors and stuff and it's obviously not good we keep jumping between the three of them as their situations continue to worsen and then there's a like a demonic voice that counts to three and then suddenly the scenes all begin to like quake and break apart and it's obvious that they're being transported somewhere and then suddenly we see john staring at the figure of satan through his like crumbling bathroom wall Satan is mouthing something and has a book and appears to be reading to a little boy who's in a Newsies cap, which is so cute, okay? I love Newsies caps, and he's just so stinking adorable. Like, what we think by these transitions is probably, like, I think what we're seeing is them dying. But instead of actually seeing them die, we just see this, like, transitionary period because we know for sure that John killed himself. And then Tamara... Like, right before the demonic voice counted to three, the guy raised a gun at her and started counting to three. And then her car is filling with light and then just kind of begins to freeze over. And we see a shadowy figure that's hammering a cart with, like, bars on it. And then he glares at her through the ice on her window. So our little thief has these black spots that are just, like, whirling around her. <laughs> And it turns into confetti because a random ass clown goes, confetti, <laughs> and then appears from the back bedroom. And it's terrifying. And this poor woman is frightened as hell and starts trying to get away. And just more clowns keep popping up and like corner her. 
So I think we're supposed to presume that those scenes were them dying and being transported to the carnival. Finally, the song from the beginning ends and we hear a clock ticking. Now, periodically throughout this movie, we hear this clock ticking. I assume that it's a symbolization of them running out of time. Makes sense, but doesn't make sense at the same time. Because if they're already dead, and they're already in hell, being tormented, why is their time, quote-unquote, running out? Didn't it already run out? We now find John, who's waking up in this back room that's filled with, like, statues and carousel parts and stuff. He's wearing this fedora and, like, a jacket and jeans. And in his hand is an envelope that says John and has a letter, if you could call it a letter, that repeats the question he asked himself earlier, except it's tweaked a little bit. So instead of saying, like, where is your little son lost now, John? It's like, where does your little son sleep now, John? I don't feel like that's ever really explained. And I don't really understand why the difference, other than... The slight change could be that instead of him being kidnapped, he's just in a different place. But I don't, that just sounds weird. I don't really know. I think it's a weird difference to have. Within the letter is also an admission ticket to the Devil's Carnival. So yay for him. He gets to participate. We then jump to Tamara, who's dressed in this 1950s getup. It's uh, it's like a, it's a dress that has the, you know, big, big frilly poodle skirt It has the big puffy sleeves and then like bows and the big collar and it's a pastel teal and pink. And like, I'm not hating on pink, but this dress looks terrible. Oh, and like those color choices are choice, if you know what I mean. Like that is a fashion don't girl. Her hair, however, impeccable. That front curl is so perfectly coiffed. I, I love her hair. But I could definitely do without that dress. That dress is oof the. At least, you know, the dress itself is probably fine. Just maybe different colors. Yeah, just different colors. She also kind of has the classic bowling shoes look of that time. And we see her waking up in one of those old school, like, tiger enclosures with the hay lining the bottom. The one that's like, it's the cart still so that it can be pulled on the train. But it's all bars so that you can see and, like, reach through it, which dangerous as hell. Like, people must have been wild and in the 30s if they were just able to reach in and, like, touch a tiger. We're seeing pretty obviously that the people seem to kind of be alone and they obviously don't know where they are because all of them are responding with, like, hello, where am I? What's going on? And then we see the thief wake up in... She's wearing, like, really fine garments. She's wearing a ton of jewelry. She has a, like, lovely hat, great shoes, all of this stuff. But she's waking up on top of this crusty mattress with trash all around. And I think it's symbolizing homeless encampment, maybe. There's also just a random bucket of jewels with a cardboard sign that says, Take only what you need. And then there's another sign that's hanging above the thief that says, Don't trust this person. And it has an an arrow pointing to a hanging mirror. We finally learn her name is Marywood because we find a letter addressed to her behind her head. And then suddenly in the distance, Marywood kind of hears like an accordion playing. So we jump to where the noise is coming from and we see it's the main ring of the carnival. And all of the carnival acts are gathered around in there. You know, we see the clowns performing their tricks. We see the painted doll who's Emily Autumn. And again, love her. She's a great musical artist. She's applying makeup out of vanity, 
there's this like marching band that has a conductor with an eye patch over one eye and he's like doing squats with his baton which i mean you know what gains right like sometimes you just gotta work out wherever you can find the time there's also our guy bill mosley who is the magician he has this like glowing wand that's shooting sparks at the end he's cool i like his makeup i genuinely didn't recognize him at first as bill mosley i had to see the credits for that because he like changes his voice his demeanor he doesn't look anything like himself and he plays the part just so well suddenly in strides a balding man who has a steampunky monocle-esque device on his head he obviously needs it to like read his ledger and stuff so i don't know if maybe he's just nearsighted and one eye or something like that i don't know it's cool it's cool looking it adds something to his character Right now, we don't know who he is, but we eventually learn that he is the Keeper. So he comes in, he demands everyone's attention. He is also being trailed by this giant man who's one-eyed, has one eye covered with scratch marks and is obviously, like, ripped out. It's his left eye that has the scratch marks on it. And he's carrying a giant flail. (laughs) Like, for those of you who don't know what a flail is, it's one of those spiky mace balls that is chained and hanging off of a like wooden pole so that you can it's like a mace except you can fling it around like it's fucking scary why this dude has a flail i don't know but i don't want to fuck with him i know that much so the keeper again like he demands everyone's attention and he's giving an overview of tonight's performances and who the main acts are going to be he calls out the painted doll emily autumn so graceful, so elegant. I love her face. They painted her face so it looked like cracked porcelain, like she's literally a porcelain doll. Her outfit screams like ballerina vibes and sexy ballerina vibes because her front is corseted and she's not wearing anything under the corset. So get it, girl. She's gorgeous. And so Doll and the Keeper kind of have a vibe. Like he he's definitely flirtatious with her and he keeps laying compliments and stuff on her like he digs her he totally digs her she's also the only one he calls out without even looking at the ledger so you know you know it's real right (laughs) so now he opens his ledger and he announces that the twin will also be performing i really don't know how to describe this man okay the only way i can think of to describe the twin is if anyone remembers the old youtube series old greg (laughs) He looks like old Greg, just like dirty and grungy and like a sewer monster, like (laughs) just old Greg, okay? He also, his face is scaled. He like, he has snake scales on his face. What's weird is that we see him kind of bump into one of the other acts. I think he bumps into the magician, actually, and his face kind of glitches like it stretches and just morphs for a second and then he's normal again so it's kind of giving us the the idea of like what the twins power and act kind of is the keeper then calls for the hobo clown who looks exactly like his name describes he's literally a clown with like torn clothing and he's a little dirty and stuff like that he calls for the scorpion who seemingly is missing from this lineup of performers because everyone's kind of looking around no one's seeing him and then the keeper just goes ah a rebel in hell how original which like 
it kind of is original considering every other motherfucker showed up to this meeting very punctually. So he is being the rebel of the rebels. So get fucked. Okay. Sorry. I love the scorpion so much. <laughs> You'll feel my love for him. I love the scorpion so much. So you know what? Keeper get fucked. He is a rebel and he is original. So shut up. So the keeper asks the painted doll to quote unquote find and cage him again as he needs time to reflect on punctuality, which is just, can you be any lamer? Like, come on, man. It, this is hell. Like, why is hell strict? That makes no sense. This is hell. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Like, fuck off. So then the keeper says, okay, that's it, everybody. And all the other acts are just kind of pissed off because they're like, why aren't we part of tonight's performance? Poor, poor Bill Mosley is rejected by the devil once again. I'm going to insert a clip of the little spat that is had between the keeper and Bill Mosley. Well, who's the guy that a mystify to get in on tonight's action? Boss is personally getting involved in tonight's play. Shall I send word that you'd like him to step down so that you can take his place? Uh, no, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I just really love how terrified Bill Mosley is at the end of that clip. Like, he's literally like, no, 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 everything's good. Yes, yes, yes. And he just backs away and I'm like, all right, dude, come on. <laughs> so suddenly we're now in a room that's filled with skulls on the walls and candles everywhere. And the keeper shows up and leads us to Satan, who is getting ready at his vanity which, like, get it. <laughs> it's obvious he's doing his makeup and getting ready for the performance, and I love it. I mean, his makeup is on point, so get it, Satan. The keeper announces that the guests have a ride, to which Satan's like, yeah, I know. And the keeper's like, okay, well, you know, we're ready whenever you are. And Satan is a true drama queen. He just slams his hands on the vanity as if to say, Bitch, I call the shots. I'll let you know when I'm ready and not the other fucking way around. And, you know, the, the keeper is like, okay, sorry, and just kind of like leaves. <laughs> and all while this is happening, Satan is literally holding a makeup brush. Like, he's a true drama queen. I love him. We cut back to Tamara in her glossy pastel whatever dress with matching bow. She also has bright pink lipstick on. And again, I don't hate pink. But this is not a good look for her. She could have done better. It's, come on, like, it's like Barbie pink lipstick. It doesn't look natural. It doesn't look good. Tamara finally finds her letter after she's kind of escaped the cage and explored a little bit. We cut back to Marywood, who finds her admission ticket. And then we see that behind her, what we thought was just one mirror, there's actually a ton of mirrors hanging from the ceiling. She finally notices the sign that points to the mirror, and she looks in it. When she looks into it, she's all like, oh, look at me, because she sees all the fine jewels, and she's like, oh my god, I'm so gorgeous, because she's, she's really, she's not only vain, she's a greedy motherfucker. We cut back to John, who opens the door of the back room that he's kind of in, and he's just faced with even more clown statues. Like, can we stop it with the clown imagery? I know we're in a carnival, but there's more to carnivals than clowns. Can we not with all the fucking clown statues? I hate it. Why is it there? It doesn't need to be. And we also hear him kind of hearing, it almost sounds like a recording, but it's not. And it's supposed to be kind of carnival-esque sounds. 
to me, I think it's kind of the screams of the damned that are being blended in as like screams of fun at the carnival. I think it's supposed to contribute to the psychological torture. John then kind of looks around super confused and he goes, where the hell am I? Which immediately launches us into our first song, You're in the Devil's Carnival, which all of the acts are in the ring dancing around and singing, You're in the Devil's Carnival. The song continues to play as we look at other characters. So they're singing. We cut to Tamara who finds her ticket. We see, you know, greedy, vain Mary Wood decides that she needs all the jewels in that bucket. So she scoops them all up. And then when she does that, this like alarm starts going off. So she just books it. John starts kind of stumbling around at like looking at all the chaos of all these people who I think we assume are acts just kind of hanging around the front of the carnival. Like, I think they're acts. I don't know. They're never explained. So I don't know if these are like previous victims or what's going on. But it's very chaotic and very claustrophobic. John and Mary would end up bumping into each other while they're trying to like stumble through everything that's going on. Meanwhile, we're cutting back to the acts that are singing the song. And the song is basically indicating that everyone has choices to make when they're living and that the part you played has unfortunately landed you in hell. And one of the clowns says, welcome to your eternity, now eat your just desserts. So basically they're like, yeah, you did something fucked up in your life, it landed you in hell, sucks to suck, you're here, enjoy the consequences. Mary Wood's all freaking out because of course she triggered this alarm. So when she bumps into John, she's all like, help me, help me, they're coming. And John's like, who the fuck is they? And Mary Wood doesn't answer. I don't know, John, that's kind of suspicious. I wouldn't trust her. And instead, she kind of just drags him along. And now the keeper is at the ticket booth and he's like, you need tickets to come inside. And Mary Wood and John present their tickets. And Mary Wood, of course, is like, oh, we're together. Like, no, the fuck you're not. You met him 0.08 seconds ago, ma'am. Like, back the fuck up. You don't even know where here is, and you don't seem to care. You just see this random man, and you're like, oh, he's the most normal one out of this entire crowd. I'm going to chill with him. Like, what is wrong with you? Maybe instead of vain, she's just stupid. Anyway, the keeper asks if, like, can I show you the main attractions? And John's kind of... John is really the only one who's kind of really freaked out. He's like, no, we're in a rush. And Mary would starts fawning over her jewelry which is super annoying there's been a lull in the conversation for maybe two seconds and she immediately is like ah look at this ring on my hand so gorgeous like shut you're fucking annoying the keeper notices her being goddamn annoying and is like oh you like those you'll like this and then shows her a brochure that has a giant ass diamond on it which she immediately is just drooling over and she's like is it as big as the picture? And he goes, bigger. And she's like, oh, hell yeah, I gotta get me that diamond. Which girl? <laughs> stealing is what landed you in this literal hell. Why are you going to keep stealing? What is wrong with you? John has more priorities than she does. He keeps saying he needs to find his son. But the keeper says, there are rules to be followed. And John's like, what rules? And the keeper says, rules of nature, rules of man, even ticket booths have rules. And that launches us into the next song, which is 666 rules. Good on them for finding a way to incorporate Satan's number 666. Like, 
Like, I appreciate that they incorporated the number, but, like, <laughs> imagine getting to hell and Satan is so strict. He's like, yeah, 666 is my number because I have 666 rules that you have to follow. <laughs> it's like, no, what are you, a Karen? Get away from me. I'm not following 600 rules. Like, back up. It's just weird to me. That's funny. You know, so the Keeper... This whole song basically introduces the keeper as the keeper, how every cog is malaligned, you know, that there are morbid and bloody consequences to the things that they've done, and that he's the keeper of the rules. He makes sure that hell runs smoothly and everything's in check, and if you don't follow the rules, then you really deal with some consequences. So then we cut back to Tamara's location and we get to meet the scorpion. Ugh, love this man. He <laughs> he is a hunky 50s greaser, leather jacket, torn, white, like, wife beater, the, the jeans, everything. Classic, love it, love him. His voice matches and is so gorgeous. The only... <laughs> The only thing that sucks is he has the opposite problem of Tamara. So Tamara's hair is gorgeous and her outfit is shit. His outfit is amazing. His hair is literally plastic. <laughs> like it's literally molded to his head. When you look at the hair, at first you just think, oh, it's really greasy. Ha ha, he's a greaser. I get it. But then you realize, no. It's not moving. It's in a solid shape. This is not just hairspray. They put a plastic pompadour on his head. Why? I don't know. It looks terrible, but I still love him anyway. <laughs> He's locked in one of the cages that Tamara had also been in, and he, you know, He's playing along like he doesn't belong there. He's like, I'm trapped in the cage too. Like, help me. And he promises to protect her if she'll help him out. Somehow she has a knife. I don't remember her getting this knife. I don't remember her grabbing this knife. I don't know where it came from, but she has it. She has a, a fucking switchblade. And he's like, come on, I'm not going to bite. As he requests her only protection. Which, girl. <laughs> Why are you going to trust this man that you met? less than a second ago and give him a fucking switchblade like no how dumb are you woman jesus whatever she hands him the fucking switchblade which dumb mistake on her part he jimmies his lock open and when he crawls out he suddenly has a cigarette in his mouth which i swear to god he was not smoking like a second ago so i don't know where he got the cigarette but now he's smoking and you know that's fine it's the 50s, or he's a 50s greaser. Smoking was cool and all the rage back then. Right away, we can see that Tamara, albeit confused, is horny as hell <laughs> for the scorpion. She takes one look at him and she's like, mm -hmm. <laughs> So he, like, grabs her letter and is like, you're not going to need this and kind of throws it away. And then all of a sudden, you're <laughs> you hear this, like, boing, boing, boing. And the scorpion whirls around and nails a bouncing cardboard cutout of a bunny who for some reason is alive and just goes, ouch, and then falls down dead with blood dripping out of his knife wound. Tamara is like even more hot and bothered. She really has shitty taste for men. She's a little too into bad boys. She's like, oh, and he's like, oh, you like that? Well, cover my eyes. 
<laughs> so she covers his eyes. And then we hear this frog, like, rib it behind him. And he hits another cardboard cutout without looking at it. Which this cardboard cutout also just, like, falls flat and dies. Tamra's oh-so-clever response to this is, That's so boss. <laughs> and she's just swooning. And I'm going to insert a clip of that segment because it's just so weird to me. And just hearing her go like, that's so boss is ridiculous. So here's the clip. Ouch. Cover my eyes. That's so boss. Tamara is so fucking ridiculous. Like I can't, I can't handle her. He then starts talking about how, like, he had an act, but he doesn't anymore because something happened to his wheel girl. And she's like, what happened to the wheel girl? And he's a real charmer. He's like, nah, it doesn't matter. You're prettier anyhow. Which, girl, cause for concern. He just said that he doesn't have an act anymore because, like, his wheel girl disappeared. That is cause for alarm. Why are you not asking more questions? <laughs> Like, she's falling for his trap, so she's not asking the questions that she should be. She says one smart thing, which is like, I don't know if I should really trust you. And then immediately falls for his pretty smile and dimpled chin and trusts him anyway. Which, girl, come on. This is why you die. Literally, this is why you die. So she, like, grabs his hand. He does a little twirl. We hear the, the clock ticking again in the background because her time is up girl suddenly we cut back to marywood who's just this bitch <laughs> is just wandering through the carnival and stealing anything shiny and valuable looking which she's not questioning that there's all of these gold trinkets necklaces and just bracelets hanging around this fucking carnival like it's just a normal thing carnivals just have it's like a goodie bag. <laughs> Here's a gold necklace for you, ma'am. Ridiculous. We switch over to John, who, God, poor John, is just so lost and confused. He's so sad. He's searching for his kid. He calls out for Daniel, which we learn is the name of his child. And then suddenly this child appears on the carousel behind him with a red balloon and runs past him giggling. John chases Daniel into a tent labeled lost and found. But instead of finding Daniel, he ends up in, like, that main ring area where the clowns are all there laying around in weird positions except for one that's standing very statuesque in the center of the ring. He walks up to the clown and, like, tries to get her attention and she doesn't move. So he goes to touch her and then all of the clowns jump up at once and they start singing their song, Kiss the Girls. They're being really fucking rude to John and they're bullying him like literally bullying him like encircling him pushing him around pushing him on the ground hitting him all while they're singing this song and then like the marching band joins in which if you have the subtitles on they call the marching band the hell harmonic and i mean get it you know <laughs> what a great name for their band <laughs> so they come out like swinging and then like I said, the girls are all, like, hitting and punching him, but also, like, every time they zoom in on him, you can see that they're not really hitting him. It looks more like they're just playfully slapping him. So, you know, be better acting could have been done there. Suddenly, though, they all just disappear from the ring, and the lighting changes, and now we see behind John there is a kissing booth with the painted doll at it. The sign below her reads, Information for Kisses. 
So he walks up to her and he keeps asking her questions that she will not answer. She keeps pointing to the sign. She keeps pursing her lips. She keeps touching her mouth. Like, you're not going to get any answers from me without a kiss, boy. And he's all like, come come on. Are you fucking serious? Like, I'm not going to fucking kiss you. This isn't a fucking game. So then he asks about Daniel. And he asks if she knows where, where Daniel is. And she nods. And he's like, well, where is he? And she pulls out that black and white picture we saw of him in the bathroom scene. Except for now... There's his shoes and the balloon are both red and just very heavily accented in the picture. He asks again, like, where is Daniel? And she just, you know, purses her lips and taps them again. So he leans in, presumably to kiss her. And suddenly out of nowhere, she bites his entire ear off. Just all of a sudden you hear a crunch. He backs up screaming. We look at her and she opens her mouth and the ear falls out onto the ground and blood pours out of her mouth. And you're like, oh shit, what the fuck? And then he goes to touch where his ear was presumably just bitten off and it's not, it's not gone. It's just there. He's totally fine. But then he looks up and the booth is, the booth is magically gone. So obviously they're just fucking with him. You know, John gets kind of pissed off and he's like, he hears Satan laughing and he goes to hell with you people, which, you know, irony, because that's exactly where you are, buddy boy. John then leaves the tent and comes across the carousel again. Daniel's on it with his red balloon. They see each other. They run up and hug each other. But then suddenly John kind of notices that there's blood on the ground behind Daniel. When he looks down, Daniel is no longer there. He's actually holding a doll that's kind of Chucky-esque and it just starts laughing at him. So he drops the doll, he freaks out, and then we see Daniel run into the room where Satan is. And he says, ah, you made it just in time for a story. To which Daniel sits on the floor, and Satan begins reading him the story of the dog and her reflection. So as he's beginning to read this story, it cuts to Mary Wood, who (laughs) is still just unabashedly stealing anything she can. Still doesn't give a fuck about anything that's going on. She's just trying to find this diamond. So he says something about reflection. And when that happens, she's looking in the mirror and she sees the twin, the old Greg motherfucker, in the mirror behind her. But when she turns around, he's not actually there. And instead, she sees the hobo clown playing his harmonica. Immediately, she is a bitch and she's a Karen. Because she's like, I assume you're work here. Hello, stop ignoring me. And then she goes, Fetch me a supervisor at once. And I'm like, bruh, like, (laughs) even if you weren't in hell, you're at like a state fair, okay? And I've gone to a lot of state fairs. I've talked to a lot of people who have worked it. They don't give a fuck about you, okay? So if you ever walked up to them and was like, fetch me your supervisor, they just laugh in your fucking face, okay? Side note, okay. I know this is, (laughs) this is a weird story, but I just thought about this. So One year when I was in high school, I went to uh, a county fair and I was talking to one of the people running the the game booth, like the like ring toss booth. And I'm talking to him and my friend is standing there with me and we're just like all chatting. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know, I think I'm like 16 at this time. I don't know how old this dude was, but he out of nowhere decides to tell me that he was charged with murder Because he helped his brother commit suicide. And I'm just standing there like, I came for the rides, 
and like kettle corn. What the fuck are you talking about? So he tells me this, you know, me and my friend are just kind of like, uh, what the fuck? So we, we just leave and like go ride a couple rides and stuff. And then it's getting close to closing time. So we call my mom and she comes to pick us up as we're walking out of the county fair. The dude is at the top of the like slides and he gets my attention and he's like telling me to come up and I was like, I don't have a ticket. I can't come up there. And then he signs like, give me your phone number. And I was like, no, I don't give strangers my fucking phone number. And then we left. And I was like, what the hell just happened? It was so scary. And then she was staying over at my house as like a sleepover. So we went back to my place and we were sitting in my room and we were talking and we both swear to God thought we saw him peek into my window. How terrifying is that? It obviously wasn't him. Like there's no way he could have followed us to my house. And there was no evidence that he was ever there. It was just, you know, like us freaking the fuck out. But like, Bruh, that was such a scary moment in my life. And fun fact, that's not the only time someone has confessed to murder at a, like, park to me. But I will tell that story another time. Anyway, back to the Devil's Carnival. So after Marywood goes Karen, the hobo clown just smiles at her. He's like, the fuck ever, lady. She says, you know, oh, well, there's some change in it for you. To which he... Opens his hand is like, okay, change first. I don't fucking trust you, which he shouldn't. She gets mad. She like groans in disgust and then she drops the pamphlet, which makes the keeper materialize out of fucking nowhere behind her and tells her littering breaks rule 129. So don't litter. She doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) She does not give a fuck at all. She just wants the diamond and she starts complaining like, The map you gave me is useless. It's not leading me anywhere. And the keeper's just like, yeah, I don't care. You broke the rules. You're going to be punished. So the flail guy pops up. She's like, ah, shit. She suddenly sees the twin drinking from like a flask down the way. And she chases after the twin. Which, I don't know. If I saw the twin just like hanging out, I wouldn't trust him. (laughs) Like, I wouldn't just go follow him. Like, he's kind of scary. But I understand, you know, she wanted to get away from the flail guy. Who, which... She does <laughs> she does a piss poor job of getting away from him. She is, like, I get she's in heels and she's kind of like a prissy girl, but she's not even trying to run. She is, like, lightly jogging, lightly cantering away <laughs> from this giant man that's chasing her. And instead of the flail, he has a whip and he's just whipping her and she's screaming for help. And like I said, just, like, <laughs> barely moving at a fast pace to get away from it. It's ridiculous. I'm like, girl, run. What are you doing? She saw the twin disappear into this tent. So she like goes into the tent after him, which the tent said security on it, which is just none of these signs can be trusted. <laughs> you know how the sign said the mirror can't be trusted? Well, the sign can't be trusted because this shit all always leads back to the main fucking ring tent, which like, okay, sure. When she goes inside the tent, she sees that the twin is still drinking from his flask, and he's standing in front of this giant sign that says, Toss for Diamond. So obviously, she found the diamond, and she has to win it through like a ring toss-esque game. She runs up, and she tries to play the fucking victim card, because she's annoying, and she's like, Did you see how those animals treated me? And the twin is like, 
Aw, poor honey sweetie baby, how cruel they were. He's just playing to her ego because he hates her too and it's his job, okay? So then he like, he kind of like gives her the flask to so she could take a drink and like calm down. And she goes, are these real? Like referring to these rubies that are like encrusted on the flask. She takes a, a quick swig and then just steals the flask right in front of him. Like he's right there. He knows that you did that. What? You're not even discreet. You just tuck it into your fucking fur coat, lady. Like, come on. He then launches into his song, which is Beautiful Stranger. It is one of my favorite songs. I love it so much. The twin is singing, and through the song, we basically learn that he wants her to play the game to win the diamond. So he says, let's play a game. He pulls an egg out of his hat, and then he literally morphs into her. So now we learn why he's called the twin. He is a shapeshifter. He's literally her now. So he's, through his song, he's warning her, like, you're slipping, you're you're gonna lose, you're, you're not doing well. To which she very hypnotically just says, horse feathers. Because she's staring at the diamond and just entranced by it. He breaks the egg and a bunch of gold coins fall into his hand. And then he gives her these coins and he's basically like, you have to use the coins and get them in the egg to try and win the diamond. She asks, like, what happens if I lose? And he says to the song, basically, like, shadow takes all. Like, if you lose, we're going to take everything you have, including yourself. Which is terrifying. Not going to say I don't like those. I don't like those odds. Like, you have to get three coins into this egg. And if you don't, then, like, we get your soul. I doesn't seem like a fair game to me. Marywood then, you know, tries to point out, like, the game is rigged and the twin is kind of like, yeah, duh. But then he, <laughs> he basically calls her a chicken and says, if you want the diamond, like, it's my domain, so you better fucking play the game. Which I'm going to insert the clip because the way he sings it is so beautiful. So I'm going to insert that now. These games are rigged. I could say that I'm hurt, but it wouldn't be true. The knife in my back. It reminds me of you, you're my beautiful stranger, the game is afoot, it's the shadow's domain, so don't pussyfoot, shoot! I just love that, like, she's like, the game is rigged, and he's like, oof, you've wounded me, now shut the fuck up and play. <laughs> so Marywood is still like, whatever, this is dumb, but she's greedy and she wants that fucking diamond, so she plays. You know, she, of course, is bad at the game, she's missing, and the twin is just laughing at her. We see after she misses a couple of times that the hobo clown pops up and, like, rips the jewels off of her. To which she's like, my jewels! Like, she's, like, freaks out. But she keeps... What I don't understand is that as, like, the... As she misses, the hobo keeps coming and, like, ripping more and more garments off of her. And yet she doesn't stop. And, like, I get it. Her sin is greed. That's how she died. That's how she'll be tormented. But really, lady? <laughs> you're literally being stripped to the nude. And you're still trying to win the diamond? I don't know. I have to believe it's some kind of sunk cost fallacy. You know, the idea that, like, like when you're gambling, you know, even though you are on a losing streak, you pump more money into it because you've already spent this much money and you can't go away with nothing kind of thing. She should have just walked away because her reward for losing is she's gonna get to spend the rest of eternity just 
getting fucking whipped. So good for her. Like I said, the hobo clown just keeps ripping off all of her garments until she's there naked. She throws her last coin, which of course misses. There's a cool cinematography shot where the coin like completely covers the twin. And then when it falls down, the twin is in his regular form with like the snake face and stuff. He proclaims shadow takes all. So now we see her in the main ring being held against a wooden pallet by all the clowns from earlier. And I mean, like, they didn't tie her down. Like, the clowns are actively holding her legs, her arms, everything. We see Satan talking to Daniel. Of, this whole thing is basically the reenactment of the story that Satan is telling Daniel. So Satan says, you know, beware lest you lose the substance by grasping again at the shadow. All of a sudden, Big Flail Man appears and the crowd is cheering. Hobo Clown begins his song, which is um, A Penny for a Tail. It's also a fantastic song. Basically, what he sings about is that greed will kill you, which he says multiple times in his song. Uh, essentially, it's this dog who found a bunch of red pennies and is carrying them around and is so greedy that when he comes across water and sees his reflection, he doesn't notice it's his reflection. The dog thinks... It's another dog. And then starts masterminding how to steal the pennies from the new dog. But in the haste of trying to plot to steal, they lose their own pennies, dive into the water to get them back, and drown. So literally dies in the pursuit of their greed. As the hobo clown is singing this song about that tale, we see that the big flail man is whipping the fuck out of Marywood. And it's like the whip noises are getting interspliced with the song and like her screams of pain and like we get to see that literally Mary Wood gets to spend the rest of her eternity being whipped and ridiculed for being a greedy person. Satan then asks Daniel if he'd like another story and Daniel nods and Satan decides to read as he says is one of his favorites The Scorpion and the Frog. I feel like I forgot to mention the book is labeled Aesop's Fables and they all of these tales are literally fables. So probably a lot of you have actually heard the original story of the scorpion and the frog. I really love the way that they tell it. So again, as Satan reads, we now cut to Tamara and the scorpion who are holding hands and scorpions leading her through the carnival. He finds this old, like, those, like, quarter machines where you put in a quarter and you, you, uh, twist the, th the lever and it pops out, like, either, like, a prize egg or candy or whatever. So he takes the switchblade and he jimmies it open and he finds... <laughs> It's li <laughs> it's literally one of those plastic Easter eggs. It is a lime green plastic Easter egg they got for like 50 cents at the dollar store. <laughs> like, I don't know why it's at the carnival. It doesn't belong there, but okay. So he pops it open and of course inside the egg, there's this like gimmicky little Valentine's heart ring that lights up and he gets on his knee and he's like, here you go, Tamara, for saving me earlier. Girl, why are you falling for this? Like, I know he's hot. Okay, I know he's hot. I get it. I swoon for him too. I love him. Honestly, I, you know what? I am Tamra, and this is how I would die. I'm not a final girl. I am Tamra, and I would die by the scorpion. I fully admit it. But girl, come on. You're really, just, <laughs> you're really going to be swooned by this cheesy guy who gets on his knee with a light-up heart ring and is like, you saved me here. Like, come on. You're better than this. Consistently since Tamara and the Scorpion have met up, he keeps asking Tamara if she trusts him. And of course she's like, I do, which, why? Why? You know nothing about him. 
you're stupid. Don't trust him. He's just dumb as fuck. So, he, you know, he puts the ring on her hand. He kisses her hand. She's all smitten kitten. And then someone, like, whistles for him. And he goes, I'll be right back. And he, he gives her the classic cool guy finger gun wink. The, like, <laughs> and then he runs off with some, like, really old school cartoon sound effects. <laughs> I don't know why they put that in there, but okay. She begins to rush after him because as of this moment, he's the only thing that's been her, like, solace in this place. So she runs after him. She ends up in the actual carnival part where, like, Marywood and John were earlier. She sees the scorpion leaning against this sign, and he does the finger gun thing again and runs off. So she runs after him. They run into a tent, and immediately she finds him and the painted doll making out against the wheel. Like, you left this man's alone for five seconds, and he's making out with some random chick. Like, I think it's time to cut your losses, girl. It's time to get out. Which, instead of taking my advice, she it just is immediately, like, heartbroken. And I, again, like, you just met him. There are more pressing things going on. Do not let this fool break your heart that he's like, girl, get your head together, okay? So he's all like, it's fine, it's fine. This is just part of the act. And she's like, um, well, I'm gonna go. So, you know, finally she's like, okay, I'll cut my losses. But he gets pissed and he's like, you're a liar. You said you trusted me. And she's like, oh, no, I do trust you. And he's like, what was that? And she's like... I trust you. <laughs> like, girl, you should have run when you had the chance. <laughs> like, you just saw him making out with this rando, and you're still just like, oh, I trust you. <laughs> like, you're, this is why you die. This is why you die. We get my second favorite song. Actually, it's tied for my favorite song. It's so good. The song is called Trust Me. The Scorpion sings it. If I could play the whole song, Without getting DMCA'd, I fucking would. I love this song so stinking much. It is, it's his voice. It's the, it's the subject matter. It's all so, I could listen to it on repeat. For those of you who maybe haven't seen the movie, um, I am gonna like link to the soundtrack on my Insta and Twitter. So I would highly suggest you go and listen to the music at the very least because all of the music slaps. The whole soundtrack fucking slaps. I am, however, I can't play the whole song, but I am going to give you a quick taste because, like, I need you guys to understand how just, like, delicious <laughs> the 50s Greaser Man is and understand why I am actually Tamara and would get fucking kissed here. So here's a here's a taste. You're a tough little tadpole to love. Naughty lilies and lures. Oh, I was knocked to the floor. Never tasted as sweet a poison as you have. I mean... <laughs> I'm swooning, like, oh, listen to that fucking voice. It melts me. Like, literally, here, rip, not a final girl. I'm fucking dead. I'm, I got murdered. I am Tamara. Bye bye <laughs> So while he's singing this song, he's literally strapping her onto the wheel. Um, and the painted doll's helping. And she's just so enamored, she doesn't even fucking care. She's like giggling and and like trying to get a kiss from him and he keeps kind of dodging it and I'm like girl come on <laughs> so now we have this really interesting part which I really love where where Satan reads the frog asks and Tamara says how do I know you won't stab me 
Satan says, and the scorpion replies, and the scorpion says, because my act is dead without you. And it's just a really interesting break in the middle of the song. He goes back to singing, and all of a sudden he's, like, pulling up these throwing knives out of fucking nowhere. I, I don't know if they're, like, sheathed to his ankle or just on the ground or what. But he starts whirling knives at her. Who, Like I said, she's strapped to the wheel. She can't go anywhere. So she's just there. And so he throws three knives. One ends up on each side of her and then one ends up between her legs. The one that ends up between her legs, once it gets there, she like really starts getting nervous. We hear her kind of panting and we can see she's starting to get a little freaked out. He pulls out the switchblade she gave him and he flicks it open. On his finishing line, one for the devil inside of me, he whirls the switchblade directly into her heart. And Satan goes, never trust a scorpion unless you be pricked while popping Daniel's balloon with his nail. Me and Tamara were dead. <laughs> scorpion got us, but I mean, what a way to go. I can't even be that mad. <laughs> so now, this whole time the painted doll has not spoken once. So now we finally get to hear Emily Autumn, who, again, amazing musical artist. Go listen to her. Her voice is so distinct. Her music is so unique. Oh, God, I love her. This is another tied for first song. It is called Prick Goes the Scorpion's Tail. I'm going to insert a clip of her singing it so you can kind of hear how gorgeous she is. Prick, prick, prick goes the scorpion's tail. Like, her voice is so just robust. It's, I'm jealous. So basically the song, you know, she sings of like how love is a poison, but it affects you so slowly you don't recognize it until it's too late. And then you're just, you're, you're dead. Which like the classic fable is about that too. I feel like it kind of symbolizes abusive relationships, but also it reminds me of this phenomena, which is like if you put a frog in water and you slowly start to turn the temperature up until it starts to boil, the frog will never jump out because it, it adjusts to the temperature as it rises and it doesn't realize how hot it's getting until it's suddenly boiling alive. The painted doll ends her song with a kiss on Tamara's dead-ass cheek and she's still strapped to the wheel with the knife in her heart. Cut back to Satan who proclaims that this is the final story called The Devil and His Due. We go back to John who, again, <laughs> I feel so bad for him. He obviously doesn't belong here. And I know that suicide is a sin, but I really don't feel like he belongs here. I don't feel like he did anything truly wrong to end up in hell. So John is following this like string of lights that leads to this tent that's kind of curtained off. And the door has a bunch of exit signs pointing to it. And the glowing sign up above it reads the devil in his due. John undoes the velvet rope. And of course the keeper just fucking materializes again and reminds him that cutting is against the rules flail man appears very threateningly in the background john basically is really fed up at this point which fair i feel like i would have been really fed up a long time ago like no one's explaining anything i don't understand where i am i know my son is lost and no one's helping me which is basically what john says he says i've lost my son i know you aren't going to help me so stay the fuck away from me the flail man you know starts stepping menacingly closer but the keeper kind of has him stand down and the keeper tells john 
that he finds the best way to find something lost is to retrace my steps. And then he points to the door that John was originally heading towards and says, all of your answers await inside. John then goes through the door. Huge epilepsy warning for the next, I gotta say for the next at least two minutes, maybe longer, there's a lot of strobe flashing lights going on. If you have epilepsy, be warned. John is going down a hallway that's full of graffiti while this red strobe light flashes. Satan is now singing a song that's kind of taunting John about his lost son. And John is actually singing along with it. To me, it's hard to tell if this is actually John singing it or if this is Satan singing it through John. Like, Satan's reading the story. But since John's the main character, he's saying it. It's a little confusing because both of their mouths move, but... So as he's singing, John enters this room full of red balloons, and then suddenly he's going through a maze of mirror. He goes into another hallway with a strobe light, and it's filled with, like... It's filled with those old-school swings that you would hang off of trees, like the plank of wood attached to the rope kind of thing. He finds the, he finds another maze of mirrors, and then he starts following this trail of, like, little kid sneakers... He finds another hallway with a billion signs plastered all over, pointing in all these different directions. He keeps stumbling through. He's obviously getting more and more distressed. And all of a sudden, we see that he's passing by this exhibit that's cordoned off. And it's clearly the bathroom from the beginning of the movie where he slit his wrist. And we see blood all over the sink floor and the towel hanging next to the sink. He, like, climbs over the rope into the exhibit and is just sobbing. He then stumbles into the room where Satan and Daniel are. He hugs Daniel in relief and reminds him to never run away from him again. And the Satan asks, have you come to give grief your due? And John asks, who the fuck is he? And Satan's like, I have a lot of names, but to you, I am the excuse you give when you cannot follow the rules. And John gets pissed and tells him, like, stay the fuck away from Daniel. Don't touch him. Don't hurt him. Like, fuck off. Satan scoffs and is like, your boy. And then John looks down and Daniel turns into a clown who kicks him in the shin and just giggling all the way. And then he, like, leaves. And John starts shouting for Daniel. And then Satan says, you know, the boy died a good, clean death. Which is heartbreaking you know you don't want to hear that about a child and you especially don't want to hear that about your own child and john gets really mad he he, <laughs> he basically threatens to kill satan which like okay good luck john yeah that's gonna go well satan is fucking offended he's like i don't i don't fucking kill children he's like i don't murder children that's god's jurisdiction i only deal with the guilty i'm not religious you know, I definitely believe in a higher power, but I don't believe that it can just be summed up by humanity's terms, okay? So, like, I've always hated the idea of, you know, when, like, bad things happen to children, there are those people who are like, it's God testing them, and God wouldn't give them anything that they couldn't handle. I like that they brought that idea into the musical, where Satan is like, hey, I know that I'm supposedly the bad guy, but I'm not the one that kills children. I would never kill a child. Because children can't can't be guilty in the way that Satan deals with guilty people. Like, they're so innocent, they're barely formed, they haven't done anything yet. I just, 
I appreciate that that they were like they kind of brought that aspect of religion into it because believe what you want to believe and I'm not against religion. I just I just don't think it makes sense to say there's one all-powerful being, the end kind of thing, you know? Anyway, Satan says that the reason John is here is because he surrendered to grief and then suddenly John is having the flashbacks of killing himself and now he kind of sees why he's been seeing blood everywhere in the carnival. Like, it's his blood. Satan tells John, stories often outlive their authors, John, especially the good ones. And John says, John just kind of loses it. He starts saying, like, Daniel shouldn't have been here. Daniel shouldn't have been born. And then he immediately, like, breaks down because he said that. And he grabs that black and white picture and is sobbing and just being like, no, Daniel, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. And then all of a sudden, John just looks at Satan and goes, like, I don't want to grieve. I don't, I don't want to do this. And Satan begins to clap his hands, which is not the reaction I was expecting. He says, I was looking forward to having you being a guest in my carnival over and over again. And then suddenly the door behind John opens and there's like a burning bright light. And Satan says, send heaven my regards. And then the opening song that like 1920 song begins to play again all of a sudden we're back in the doll room where god is and john pops out of the broken doll bit and god is very surprised to see him he's like what are you doing here i feel like the doll workshop is god's workshop so heaven can't just be that doll shop so why the fuck would john like pop up there i don't know to me it doesn't make a lot of sense but that's fine we watch the keeper wander back into Satan's room and <laughs> Lucifer's sitting at his vanity again. Gotta make himself pretty, you know? Keeper asks if he actually let one of them go, to which Satan nods and says, it would appear so. You know, the keeper's all like, what about the rules? What about the rules? Because he only cares about the rules. And Satan's like, my friend, the rules are changing. Satan launches into his song, which is like Fall From Grace. And it's basically... He is deciding that he wants to wage war against heaven. He wants to wage war against God. And what he wants to do is he wants to grow the carnival by corrupting the faithful within faith itself. So he's like, if we offer sinners redemption and a way back to heaven, then more people will sin while they're alive and end up in our carnival hoping that they can just be redeemed after the fact. Which is also a really good allegory. And other movies have done that too, like Little Nicky. With the devil sons wanting to make Earth hell itself by turning everyone to sin. God can kind of hear the beats and the general gist of the song, and he's like losing his shit. And then all of a sudden we jump back to the keeper, who's grabbing everyone's attention again and says... Tomorrow we're going to be renovating, we're shutting heaven down, get ready for war. We cut to the last song where everyone is singing, fa la la, it's off to hell we go. <laughs> like, follow the yellow brick road, Dorothy, it's off to hell we go. The ending credits start and it has a, <laughs> it has a sampling of the 666 rules scrolling in the background, which if you take the time to read it is... Interesting as hell. <laughs> so it's like, the first rule is literally no refunds at any time. 
There's no lip, back talk, or sass to our dark lord. Which, why? Satan's sassy too. He'll just give it back to you. He doesn't care. No hope or prayers that God will save you. Which makes sense. No take backs, which is just silly. No monkeys jumping on any beds, which is also silly. No quitting, quilling, or knitting. What does that even mean? (laughs) Suddenly, though, the music kind of cuts out. And the credits stop, and we hear a woman go, Hello? Hello? Where am I? And suddenly we see Tamara in a white gown, holding a lantern, staring at Satan. They begin to sing a song called, In All My Dreams I Drown. I don't know how to describe the song. I want to call it like a sea shanty, but it's not like, it's not. But I don't know how else to describe the song. It's basically like, Tamara's saying she doesn't want to sleep because she dreams of drowning. And she begs the captain of the ship, like, she'll do whatever he wants as long as she doesn't have to sleep. However, he just keeps being like, here's a gown, here's a bed, you gotta go to sleep. And she trusts him. And he ends up, like, seducing her. And then it's it's kind of showing, again, like, the cosmic loop of, like, she's gonna keep repeating the sin that brought her to hell. She begs to be woken up before she drowns and falls to the bed dead. Then... Off to Hell We Go cuts back in and the rest of the credits play. I've made the outro of this episode a clip of that song. So if you want to hear that song, wait till the end of the episode and you'll be able to hear it. Also, I read that that whole scene was supposed to be in the movie again to show like the looping that happens within Hell, but then they decided that it was really unnecessary. So they cut it out. But I'm really glad that they added it in to the credits because it's a great song and I really love it and it would have been sad if it had never been released. So we made it. End of the film, end of the musical. Literally this episode is going to be longer than the musical itself. It's a great movie. It's very well paced. Although I can easily call out some plot holes, which I have, (laughs) and, you know, ridicule the girls because they're dumb bitches but a five out of five for me i really love it it's one of my favorites i I, the music the music fucking slaps i listen to the soundtrack all the fucking time okay you know like i kind of mentioned i feel like it's a really good it's a really good original take on like a very famous story of christianity that is utilized in media a lot and i really love the twist that they took on it especially how like hell is like this fun carnival and then heaven is just like not this paradise in the sky instead it's just this like weird workshop and then you know all the characters themselves were great all the actors who play them just really kill their roles and even though we didn't really see the kills in this movie I feel like the psychological torture we see them dealing with makes up for it instead and I mean technically we see Tamara quote-unquote die again but like She's already dead, so I don't know how I don't know how you can count that, but I still think that the torture and the songs and everything makes up for the fact that you can't really see the kills. I think it's an amazing movie. So let me know what you guys think, you know? Send me a Gmail at nafgpod at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at nafgpod and Instagram at not a final girl pod. Listen to me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Amazon Music. If you enjoy, please leave me a five-star review and recommend me to your friends. And until next time, farewell, Ghost Gang.
I don't want to go to sleep. In all my dreams, I drown.